Hi there, guys, and welcome to the final episode of this Podstorm, the release of the audiobook chapter by chapter right here on The Matt Brown Show. The book in question, You're in a Game, 12 Principles for High Impact Entrepreneurs. So if you have landed here, guys, please go back to chapter one and come back here. Uh, very, very important uh, that you do not miss out on any of the great insights and lessons that have been revealed to date. If you have been following along and you've reached here, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you for investing in the show. Thank you for investing in you through your time and your attention. It really means the world to me to be able to make a difference to you and to ultimately spread the message of hope and inspire and motivate entrepreneurs all around the world. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Today, we're going to be talking about this idea of becoming an unbreakable entrepreneur. This was a hard chapter for me to read personally. Uh, Rusty Labuskakni uh, has just got an incredible story that really does scare me in many respects but at the same time it inspires me and I really do hope that his story will inspire you too. So can you become unbreakable as an entrepreneur? Well if you hear Rusty's story anything really is possible and remember guys if you would love to join the conversation please do reach out with me at hello at mattbrownshow.com that's my email address or you can tweet me at mattbrownza and remember finally if you would like to get a digital copy of this book or just join my MIQ newsletter, which is the most important questions newsletter, which I answer every single week, a bunch of questions, <laughs> uh, please do do so. It would be great for you to join our community as well. So without further ado, guys, here it is, the final episode, chapter 12 of Your Inner Game, 12 Principles for High Impact Entrepreneurs. Chapter 12, Becoming an Unbreakable Entrepreneur. Player, Rusty Labushkachny, Episode MBS 139, Principle, I Will Be Unbreakable. You are only confined by the walls you build for yourself. Vaklev Havel. Few interviews have affected me as much as meeting Rusty Labushkachny, a man who not only spent 10 years in a Zimbabwean prison for crimes he didn't commit, but who isn't bitter about the experience. Meeting him in person, hearing his story, and most importantly, experiencing firsthand his attitude today, gave me my first inkling of what it means to be humble and accept life with grace and fortitude. Imagine the scene. It's 2003. Zimbabwe is in the throes of President Mugabe's land reform and seizure programs. Against the backdrop of this tenuous political climate, Rusty is a successful, self-made businessman running his five safari camps flies his own aircraft, has nine vehicles, 11 boats, a houseboat, a fishing resort on Lake Kariba, and owns a 34-acre property in the city of Bulawayo. Life's pretty good, but there were some problems, starting with a large amount of fish poaching taking place in the fish breeding grounds near his fishing resort. One day, in response, Rusty and his friend Spike spotted two fish poachers and drove their boat towards them in an attempt to scare them off. The wake caused by Rusty's boat tilted the poacher's boat, causing them to jump into the water. They were about three meters from the shore, and soon the poachers scrambled to dry land and ran off into the woods. Rusty and Spike didn't think anything more of it. It was just another day in Africa. The next day wasn't. When the police arrived accusing Rusty and Spike of drowning one of the poachers, they couldn't really believe what was happening. They took the police to the scene of the alleged crime and explained what had happened. In response, they were asked to report to the local police station some two hours away in three days' time. When they arrived at the police station three days later, 
the first thing they heard over the intercom were the words, Have you arrested those two white men yet? This is clearly a murder case. Stepping into hell. That afternoon, Rusty and Spike were locked into a two-meter squared corrugated iron hut in 40-degree heat, without their statements being taken. Two days after denying all charges, Rusty and Spike were transferred to another, larger police station for processing. He said, In Zimbabwean police holding cells, it's the same as the prisons. There are no beds. You sleep on the floor. The holding cells are filthy and they stink of feces, urine and vomit because there are no facilities. Only a five-litre plastic container cut off the top as a toilet. It was honestly the worst night of my life. The mosquitoes were unimaginable and we were crammed in there like sardines, recalls Rusty. Once the news broke of the two arrests, 200 plus demonstrators holding banners marched towards the prison, calling for the immediate death of the two white men. Rusty and Spike were given bail pending the trial, which happened 30 months later. At that point, Rusty was advised to leave the country by a politically influential friend and other close friends on the basis of inside information and the racial tension in the country. Rusty decided that he could not leave his family behind and the thought of being found guilty in the court of public opinion was too much to bear. He didn't run. Instead, he was sentenced to 15 years in jail. During the trial, no evidence was presented of murder, nobody and no statements to that effect by the policeman who attended the scene. And yet the following judgment came through anyway. Quote, It cannot be said that his aim and object was to kill the deceased. He, in my view, is clearly guilty of murder with constructive intent. The judge's verdict wasn't the only inconsistency in the trial, but it was the final nail in the coffin. Whatever doesn't kill you. I asked Rusty to describe his first day in prison. He said, The first thing they do is make you strip naked. You walk in with nothing. And I was the only white man amongst a thousand prisoners which was unbelievably terrifying given Zimbabwe's political climate and history. I was escorted up to my cell, which was 13 meters long by 3 meters wide. There were 78 of us in there. Everybody got 33 centimeters of space marked out on the walls and chalk. To fit, prisoners had to lie on their sides, with legs all crossing over in the middle. You all faced the same direction, and when you needed to turn over, all 78 prisoners had to turn over together. As cushioning against the cold concrete floor, you would fold two of your worn-out, lice-ridden blankets several times to fit your space, and then you would cover yourself with the third blanket. If that wasn't bad enough, it got worse. You were also only allowed one set of clothing at any one time, and only after six months did you get a chance to change that clothing. Because there were no basins or taps in the cells, we had to wash our clothes in the cell toilet at night while wearing a blanket. We then had to hang our clothes on the walls with smuggled book staples to dry by the next morning. Three or four of us would get together and take turns to wash our clothes, as one garment had to be used to block the toilet to allow the toilet bowl to fill up when attempting to flush. The water only ever dribbled in slowly. Then we would wash the clothes on the cement block surrounding the toilet bowl, dipping them in and out of the toilet as we washed. You have no idea how humiliating it is to wash your clothes in the same toilet that everyone had been using, and yet you did it because the alternative is worse. But the things that hammered me the most were the mosquitoes and the lice, which eat away at you, year after draining year. In 2005, while in the notorious Chikarubi Maximum Security Prison in Harare, the capital city of Zimbabwe, it ran out of water. 
For three years, each prisoner was only allocated one cup of dirty orange water a day from a local dam. That was to drink, clean your teeth, wash your face, bathe, everything. At times, prisoners didn't have a bath for nine months at a time. During my first six years, I watched over 2,200 prisoners die, primarily from malnutrition. The prisoners were run by ex-military vets and green bombers who had been trained to take over local farms. If you stepped out of line, the beatings were severe. You'd be put in leg irons, have your legs cuffed behind your back and ordered to lie flat on your stomach. Then you'd be beaten on the soles of your feet with one meter long rubber battens. If it doesn't sound that extreme, think again. 100 hits under each foot. They broke both feet and leg bones. Surviving prison, how to become unbreakable. Rusty served 10 years of his 15-year sentence. During that time, he made the decision to survive. It wasn't an immediate decision though. For a very long time, the only question that occupied Rusty's thoughts day and night was, why me? And who can blame him? In Rusty's mind, he had been trying to do the right thing, chasing off poachers near a fishing cooperative, and he had been crucified for it. That's a tough thing for anyone to accept. To survive though, Rusty recognized that he needed to get out of his hole. He needed to look at life differently. He said, there is no way I could have survived that time of my life if I didn't believe that everything happens for a reason. That's what got me through. There were no answers for all of my questions. Why me? What have I done to deserve this? And am I here to be protected? Do the inmates feel the same pain or am I different? I had to believe that I was put there for a reason. Once I started thinking like that, I could feel the power that would keep me alive. And hope. Hope is an incredible thing. If someone had said to me in year one that I was only going home in year three, I would never have said so. I was going home now now, a few weeks or a month I could live with. The thoughts of more than that was just too painful. I had to hold on to the hope that this crazy mess would all be sorted out and I'd be released. I kept my mind positive no matter what. It sounds so simple, but I know the reality must have been anything but. How did Rusty do it? It's about finding positives in all the negative things that are happening around you, he told me. Affirmations definitely work. One of my affirmations was, every day, in every way, I'm getting better and better. But hope alone wasn't enough. Rusty had to overcome an immense amount of bitterness and anger. And it turns out that the biggest lesson Rusty had to learn was about the power of forgiveness. He said, I was full of bitterness, anger, hatred and frustration, and the need for revenge for what they had done and were doing to me. I hated them bitterly, and would lie there for hours wishing every terrible thing on each of them in turn. The poacher, the police, the judge, the ministry, and all who were involved in my conviction. I remember after about a year walking in the exercise yard, tired of all the anger, hatred, and bitterness, and that was draining me daily, and saying, Lord, take care of them, and let me get through this road you have put in front of me. A weight was immediately lifted from my shoulders and I realized in that moment that I had accepted my fate. This gave me the mental ability to push the blame aside and stop focusing on what I couldn't control and instead focus on my mindset and emotions. Two things I could control. My whole life in prison changed after that. Most importantly, this gave me the space to forgive. I now know what Nelson Mandela meant by forgiveness. Because if you don't forgive... You will live in prison forever. You have to let it go. 
It doesn't matter if it's right or wrong, but if you don't forgive, in the end, it will break you. Gratitude was another massive lesson for Rusty. When you're lying on a concrete floor and you're allocated 33 centimeters of space, and the breath you take is no longer your own, but that of the person lying next to you, gratitude begins to take on an entirely new meaning. I look back on my life with new eyes. I'd been unbelievably lucky up until that point. I'd been given beautiful children, great opportunities and material gains. Instead of focusing on the fact that I'd lost everything, I chose to be grateful that I'd had those things at all. Most of the men I had spent each day with had never had those opportunities. In prison I realized how despite having so much, I hadn't really been happy. I could never buy enough. It was always about more, 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 and in the end, there was never enough. That's not what life's about. It's really about making a positive difference to the people around you. I've spoken a lot about regret in this book, and of course, I needed to know if Rusty had any of his own regrets. Had he made the right choice on that day, he decided to chase the two poachers. He said, I wouldn't change a thing. I couldn't see it at the time, but there was a bigger picture at play for me. Before I was arrested, I thought I was bulletproof, flying high like a big fish in a little pond, going nowhere. Now, I'm a small fish in a big pond, making a huge difference in many people's lives. I feel I finally have a purpose. I was always motivated by material things, but this experience has taught me that that's not what life is about. Life is about making a difference and having a very clear purpose. There are no breakthroughs without walls. Perhaps the most glaringly obvious lesson from my perspective was this. If you want to build a business, there's literally nothing stopping you, aside from the walls you built around yourself. It's a great irony to think that both Rusty and Nelson Mandela found peace as a result of being in prison. Not every man or woman walks out of prison with that level of insight, or at peace with themselves and the world. It's incredibly difficult to find peace when things go wrong. Sickness, insolvency, divorce, job loss, and poverty, these things can all crush us. It's easy to start blaming others or things outside of your control for your own circumstances. But putting blame at the feet of everyone or everything else will get you nowhere. The most successful individuals I've met, from Joey Evans to Rusty Labuskakni and many, many others, have an incredible ability to put their lives into perspective. They're able to understand that the trajectory of your life is really up to you. I believe there are two types of entrepreneurs in this world, those who live in cause and those who live in effect. Cause entrepreneurs tend to be in control of their own destiny. They're victors, not because bad things don't happen, but because they overcome whatever life throws at them. Effect entrepreneurs are always the victims, victims of circumstance, bad luck, market pressures, C19, aggressive competitors, the list goes on. They're at the mercy of the whims of the world around them. If you want to build something of purpose, whether it's a good business, a great life, or both, you need to start getting real with yourself. Stop accepting self-imposed boundaries. Stop putting up walls around you. You will never break through a wall of self-taught lies about who you are and what you're capable of if you're living in effect. It took me a long time to understand those walls. They're glass, so we generally don't see them. It's pretty much Howard Mann's point, right, about living in glass bottles again. We create a myopic worldview for ourselves. I wanted to understand how those walls got there. And after a lot of thought and triangulation, I might add, I realized that we spend our whole lives unconsciously building them, brick by brick. Each time something goes wrong, 
or we fear the outcome of a specific situation. The only way to break through them is to accept the reality of things for what they are. More than that, we need to believe that things can and will improve with the right mindset and attitude. Change is possible. This is what Rusty did, but there are far more and less extreme examples all around us. Building a business is tough. Leading a life of purpose that is successful and makes you happy is tough. Neither will happen by accident. It takes deliberate focus, patience, and practice. Each entrepreneur needs to learn how to sow the seeds of becoming unbreakable, first by understanding that the negative and self-doubting stories we keep telling ourselves about how things are going to be, what the past means, and what the future holds are bullshit. Only you have the power to control and shape your destiny. Bad stuff might happen along the way. You will fail. You'll make mistakes. You'll cry. That's okay. Just don't let any of those things break you. We're in control of the walls we build for ourselves, and we're also in control of the meaning we will find in breaking them down, brick by brick. For the full story of Rusty's incarceration and lessons, I highly recommend his book, Beating Chains. As I write this conclusion, I'm sitting in London at the London Tech Week conference. We're here because Digital Kung Fu won the Best Tech Startup in Africa Award at the Africa Tech Week conference. Africa Tech Week is a partnership between the Department of International Trade, London Partners, and UK South Africa Tech Hub, which means that as one of the winners, we were invited to attend this global showcase of technology, startups, and entrepreneurship. It's surreal that the personal journey I've been on while writing this book has culminated in this place at this time, mingling with some of the most innovative technology startups in the world. When I look back at my own journey, it's abundantly clear to me that if I hadn't codified how I approach business and entrepreneurship through a clear set of inner game principles, that I wouldn't be here today. None of our success at my company Digital Kung Fu would have been possible because I would still have been trying to find my purpose. These principles really do work. They've worked for me and countless other entrepreneurs whom I've interviewed, and I believe that they can work for you too. But let me leave you with the single biggest learning that most entrepreneurs and ideas men and women face at one point or another. Theory without execution is worthless. I entreat you to not only apply these principles in your life, but to hold yourself accountable to them as well. See them through. Tell someone else what you're doing, whether it's a partner, mentor or friend, and ask them to check up on you. Remember that you are never alone. Every challenge that you're currently facing or will face in your business has been overcome by someone else in their business. You just need to ask for help. I mean, fuck it. Fuck your pride and ask for it. When you do, doors that were once closed will open. The dominant theme at London Tech Week conference has been exponential technologies like artificial intelligence, additive manufacturing, advanced robotics, virtual and augmented reality, robotics, alternative energy systems, biotechnology and digital medicine. It truly is the most exciting time in our history to be an entrepreneur, whether you're in these industries or will benefit from them. This only tells half the story. These technologies promise to unlock market opportunities for entrepreneurs on a never-before-seen scale. But here's the catch. These same opportunities will only be secured if your inner game, aka your decision-making operating system, is built on a solid foundation and a set of principles that will push you to severe 
when everyone else is telling you to quit, that looks to the future and is willing to be agile and open to new ways of doing things and new ways of thinking, to be certain of who you are and what you want to achieve in a world of uncertainty and to be unbreakable in the pursuit of your dreams. It's time to tell your story. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top, you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. Okay, we're here, the final chapter of your inner game. And at this point, we've gone from wheelchair to Dakar finisher, cancer survivor, burn survivor, mauling survivor, and now prison survivor, Rusty Lavaskakni. Where do you find these incredible South Africans, Matt? And when you're speaking to them, how does it feel? Does it make you want to be a better human? Or do you sometimes feel a little bit insignificant that, you know, humans are capable of these unbelievable feats i don't get tired of that type of story i mean when i when i was introduced to rusty and uh, his book breaking chains i didn't fully appreciate the experience he had had until i interviewed him i mean i highly recommend that uh, if anyone's listening to this jump onto um, the matt brown show podcast wherever you're getting it and uh, look for rusty and uh, the story that he revealed on that show was literally, I still remember we had a live audience at that stage. Um, and I still remember everyone's faces. They were just like, this is not real. There's no way you can survive something like that. And the book tried to capture as much of the essence of what he had experienced, but really the podcast when, and especially when you have him tell his story, you start to really feel the enormity of the experience that he had. I mean, from being a super wealthy, successful businessman to being accused of a murder, he didn't commit and then spending 15 years in maximum security prisons in Zimbabwe. I mean, you know, in atrocious conditions, I mean, it's just, how do you, it's, the, it's just, you can't see yourself doing that. You cannot see yourself in Rusty's shoes surviving. I mean, there were 60 of them lying on their sides because there was not enough space. And when they wanted to roll over, all 60 of these men had to roll over on, from their right side to their left side and vice versa, because otherwise there wouldn't be enough space. They had to wash their clothing in a toilet because there was only one toilet to wash clothing in. Um, you know, and, 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 um, and you see, you see, you see yourself in the story and you go, there's just no way you'll make it. 
And this is the this is funny enough an interesting um, the irony right or the paradigm in that when you start a business you see yourself in the successful stories of others but you don't really believe that you're going to make it in many cases and you have to believe that you're going to make it and this is what the powerful lesson is really with Rusty is that you know he he actually said there's no breakthroughs without walls and he lived in between four walls for 15 years you know um, and this is the quintessential challenge with entre- entrepreneurship at the end of the day. You see yourself in a story that you really want, but do you believe that you can get there? Do you believe that whatever the challenges are, whatever the obstacles are, whatever the experience is that you are gifted every day, do you see yourself overcoming those things? Do you believe that you will get to the end? Uh, and oftentimes when you find yourself in a situation like C19, there is a situation that comes along sometimes and it sucks the light out of the room. It sucks the light out of your story. When you are left with only darkness, do you believe that you can still walk forward? Uh, and that's the powerful nature of Rusty's story in that he did this thing. He did it. He overcame, like... His story for me is way worse than entrepreneurship. <laughs> like, I mean, it's just like, it's really not even, even I, I look back at it, I'm like, no, man, you know, how did you, how, and there's a movie coming out about it and all this kind of stuff. So, but because of this, it's just like, it's amazing to think that he overcame something that I will most likely hand on, like, please God, never happen. This will never happen That's to me. Word, Anything, yeah. Never actually happened to me. Or you or anyone like I wouldn't wish it on any. Like I just cannot imagine what that will do to your your character, your soul. Like it must literally, I don't know. It tests literally everything, you know. Especially when you, by the way, are innocent. Imagine that. I mean, that's probably the worst. And this, by the way, happens all around the world in incarceration systems around the world. It's a terrible, terrible, terrible system. Also, by the way, I spoke about that on the show uh, around the incarceration systems. But uh, I think the reality is is that you can always overcome. And I think this is really what people need to believe. It's like if you see yourself in that story and suddenly that story doesn't look the same, <laughs> it doesn't seem like you're going to make it, you have to believe that you're going to get there. You have to believe that you can win. You have to believe that you are the best. You have to believe that... You are the guy who's going to get there. You are the girl that has already got there. Because if you don't believe it, you will never give anyone in your team permission to believe it. So it has to start with you. Uh, And that's why I wrote that, uh, or I included Rusty's story in the book, because it is all about the business of belief, you know, at the end of the day. The opposite of that, or maybe the two work together hand in hand, because you talk about the business of belief, overcoming resilience, all of these things. But you also talk a lot about regret throughout the book. Um, why have you spent so much time highlighting that particular topic? Is it something that you find a lot of entrepreneurs end up dealing with because they didn't take the next step, because they didn't they didn't have the courage required to make a different decision? As we draw to the close of this, what is the one message about regret you'd like to get through? You'll never regret the things you did. You'll only regret the things you don't do or you didn't do. And you have such a short period of time on this planet. So why would you waste a second of it doing something that you hate? I mean, the paycheck is the most dangerous thing that you can ever receive, ever. Every time you get a paycheck, 
you are buying a future, a very small future in comparison to what you could do as an entrepreneur. You need to fight. Like my kids, my kids, I should say, like I'll tell them straight, don't ever get a paycheck. Because the moment you do, you are reconciling yourself to a future that you may regret. I've been there, by the way, in and out of corporate, you know, and obviously unemployable after after many, many years, you kind of see, well, this obviously was never sustainable. So, but in and out of failed businesses, um, I went to take a paycheck because I had to, and it killed me every single time. It just didn't feel right to me. I always knew that, my light was brighter than, a, than, you know, a small paycheck. So, I mean, I do, by the way, I say this to my staff, I encourage them to go or will to leave and start a business for, for themselves. I, I actively mentor, like with um, that employee I mentioned for Fire Sale Hardware, she wants to be an entrepreneur one day. So cool, here's your opportunity to cut your teeth. Go. Only you're supported with a, a structure that you know, is something that is sustainable as opposed to you just trying to figure it all out on your own. Um, And as a leader, you know, when someone leaves your business that you have succeeded as a leader because then you have given them the belief in themselves and the skill set in themselves that they now see as something that they can make their own. And this is the power of being an entrepreneur it's not about the money it's about the opportunity to grow people so what's the role of regret in that well if you just took a paycheck who are you growing how are you growing how fast are you growing and how much of a difference can you make so entrepreneurs are in a very special position in that they have the opportunity to make a great difference a greater difference to those that work with them, to those that are in the immediate, um, you know, social circles, family, friends, and that kind of thing. But ultimately, we are in a position to change the world. We truly are. I believe that. And regret. Would you want to take on a problem that can make a difference to a billion people, right? And if you failed at that, would you regret it? I wouldn't because I know I would have done something about it. But I certainly wouldn't want to be 95 years old looking back at a problem that still exists today and that I recognized was a problem 50 years ago and I chose not to do anything about it. That's regret. There are so many ideas that are at tension with each other throughout the book and they really highlight the complexities of life and business. And you mentioned one of them earlier, which was that there are no breakthroughs without walls. This ties in with your cause and effect theory, which we discussed in an earlier chapter and that there are two types of entrepreneurs, those that are at cause and those that are at effect. And I think being at cause also very much ties in with what you've just said about no regrets and and taking the chance. How have you strived to be a cause entrepreneur? It sounds like regret and refusing to regret things that you, you know, didn't choose to do is a big part of it. Are there any other pieces of advice that you can give entrepreneurs so that they can shift from being affect entrepreneurs to cause entrepreneurs everything depends on you everything that's what you have to act on no one's going to make your bed for you unless you're rich <laughs> but in general if you want to or you achieve, have a mom yeah yeah, or a mom <laughs> but make your own fucking bed uh do it yourself why are you why is somebody else doing it for you you know if you want to 
build something that matters, it doesn't build itself. Businesses don't build itself. And even when you reach some kind of success in business and you start to employ people, it's quite easy to go, well, no, my team are going to be responsible for the entire business and I can kick back and go and sit on a beach in Bali. Do that for three months and let's see where your business is at. You know, you cannot just step off it. So even when things go wrong in a business, even in my business specifically, I ask myself, how have I contributed to this? Am I accountable here? And in what way am I accountable? You know, if someone resigns, am I accountable for that? What was my role in that? Did I lose a, 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 a customer or a client as an example? I may not have been involved in the day-to-day interactions with uh, those stakeholders on the, on the client side, but in what way was I accountable for that loss? What did I not do that if I had implemented six months ago or a year ago, that if we're true today, would have made this problem be a non-event? And I think this is the reason why most businesses don't perform in the way that they do in that ultimately everything still depends on you. Even if you have a team, you have to believe that everything depends on you and you have to be at cause. And when you're always at cause, you will always take a sufficient amount of action. And as we touched on before, it's all these little actions that you do every day that add up to a great result. Team or no team. If you're not making sufficient sales, guess whose problem it is? It's yours when you start out. And even when you've got a sales team of 10, 50 people and you don't make sales and you can't pay salaries, whose fault is that? It's yours. It's not the sales team. They're not here to provide a service to you. You need to provide a service to them. And if they fail, then you have set them up for failure. There's always nuances in that. You may go, well, you know, he just didn't make his target for three months, times, times up by 10 and suddenly you got a shitty sales team. But why? Why are they a poor sales team? Why haven't you done what you needed to do in order to make them effective? What systems and processes and policies did you not implement that set them up for failure? And so wherever you look, I mean, take your health and fitness. Oh, are you fat? Okay, whose fault's that? You know, we all want to talk about losing weight, especially in New Year's resolutions and things like that. But what have you done to fix that? Have you changed your diet? Have you started exercising? How many hours have you put in this week to lose weight? One hour. Well, that's not enough. So don't complain about why you are not healthy. You don't have the right marriage. Oh, my wife's this, my husband's that. Oh, okay. Who's at fault there? Is it, is it always outside of you? And I think this is such an important thing because I see it in people. They always blame everything outside of themselves for why they are miserable. And when you blame someone or anyone really for a problem that you have, you absolve yourself of all accountability, everything, immediately. So you can never blame anyone else. Blaming someone for a problem that you have never ever serves you because otherwise then you're at effect. Cause people go, okay, this is a problem. Yeah, I'm sure this person had something to do with it, but ultimately I'm the one that should have fixed it. I should have done this. I should have tried harder. I should have made new choices, but I didn't do that. And we are, it's so easy just to, you know, 
blame everybody else because we don't want to look at ourselves and go, actually, you know, I'm a bit of a dick here. I should have changed my, my course of action. So that's the relationship. Wow. You're in a game, 12 principles for entrepreneurs. That is essential reading and listening for anyone who wants to build a business, whether that's a lifestyle business or a business at scale. Matt, thank you for taking the time to share the book with us and your personal experiences and thoughts. It's been incredible. Thank you. And thank you, Nadine, for obviously doing these interviews. I know you're very busy, but uh, obviously great to have you here. And thanks all of you for listening and downloading this audiobook and getting it on the Matt Brown show. I hope it has made a difference to all of you too. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an x.com.